We on, are we on, are we on, we are on. Okay. Okay, nightly sponsors. Um, anonymous, in honor of his wife, Aviva Brocha Batsara. Anonymous, in honor of Ahuva Henya Bat Rochel, Yosef Ben Chayim Malka, Ilana Bat Ahuva Henya, Tzvi Arya Ben Ahuva Henya, and Yeshua Ben Ahuva Henya. The Eisenman family, in honor of the Shloshim of Chaya Sora Bat Zviz Chrona Okay, just for all you people anonymous out there, I do want to share with you a teaching from the great Rashba. He is a uh, Rishon, a codifier of, of the likes of Maimonides. He lived in the same time. He says that it is actually a mitzvah, the Farsim Oisim mitzvah. It is a mitzvah to make known those who do mitzvahs, because if anonymous would have put his name, and one of his friends would have seen it, he said, hey, that's a nice idea, I can do that too. So just that you know, Mr. Anonymous is out there, stop being anonymous. Okay, nightly co-sponsors, anonymous, in honor of Noledet Bat Rezo, baby will be named at a Kiddush on Shabbos. Baruch Hashem, that baby is doing well. Baruch Hashem. Okay, Judy Chayet, in honor of our sons, Shmuel and Abraham, Moshe and Yehudit, to be blessed with long, healthy life, Parnassah for the sake of sharing and finding their soulmates. Also in honor of Mordechai, Moshe and Chaya, my husband, for a long life and desire to study and practice Torah. And for the Rufur Shlema of Menachem Mendel, Ben Sarabatya, and Devora Fega Bat Rezo. Okay, Baruch Hashem. Okay, let's go right into this. This is a long class, and we're running late. Okay, finding our... Let's change the your to our. Finding our oasis. So, for the newbies, the newcomers, um, just share with you how this works, okay? We open up with a modern day issue, something that you and I can deal with practically. From there, we jumped into a mystical teaching of the Rebbe Blessed Memory. It will go through different mystical topics, and then we'll wrap it up by making it very practical and bringing it back home to how that changes our practical issues in our practical life. Okay? So, it may sound do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, but uh, I am not in the levitating business. I'm actually here to have you walk out of here. But as the verse says, like heavenly days upon earth. Feet on the ground, head in the clouds, and we make a difference. Okay? So, let's go straight into what the modern day issue is. What is the purpose of having an oasis in life? So let me read to you as I'm refocusing what the modern day issue is, okay? Yes, an oasis, a fertile spot in a desert where water is found is very helpful in life in order to rejuvenate ourselves to be able to continue on in the raging waters of life, earning a living family and community responsibilities, okay? Rejuvenation, that's the first and foremost thing why we need an oasis. We can, you know, you dehydrate and die in the desert if not for oasis. But there is an even greater purpose of having oasises in our life. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, of Eden, living with the aftermath of agricultural hardships, menstrual cycle, and labor pains. That was the punishment they each received. Nevertheless, Adam and Eve remembered what life could and should be like. However, the following generations had no picture of what life could be like. Even Adam and Eve needed an oasis to know what the Garden of Eden without a jealous serpent would look like. So it's not just about rejuvenation. It's about knowing what could be. Okay? 
There is a reason why communist dictators are controlling the internet of what can and what cannot be seen in their countries. For the mind, heart, and spirit cannot yearn for that which it does not know. Thus, God places oasis within the world for us to truly experience what life could and should be like. Additionally, it is only when we are connected to our oasis that we are empowered to create what the world can be like. Our sages state, Ein chovish matir es atzmoy, which literally means the prisoner cannot free himself from jail. This is why, unless we are within our oasis, we cannot free ourselves of our world. It is only when we are in the freedom of our oasis and out of the box of imprisonment that we can bring freedom to the universe. As a matter of fact, it is said that a true leader is already there from which he looks back at the here and figures out how to get everyone from here to there. And so it is with us finding our oasis. We must find our oasis, be there, from there look back at the here of our present lives outside of the oasis and then build a bridge from the outside to the oasis, bringing our entire lives within the oasis. So far so good? Okay. Now, this lecture is based upon a mimer, a mystical teaching delivered by the Rebbe of Blessed Memory in 1958, exploring the destruction of the Holy Temple, the present oasis of the Holy Temple while in exile, and how to bring the entire universe to an unprecedented stage of an absolute, indestructible, omnipresence oasis. Okay? And we have to do that all in 45 minutes. Buckle up. <laughs> yes, right? Okay. This Shabbat is the Shabbat prior to the fasting of Tisha B'Av. I cannot say the Shabbat prior to Tisha B'Av because Shabbat is Tisha B'Av. But you know that when Tisha B'Av is on a Shabbat, it is Nitcha. It gets pushed off and then it moves on to Sunday. So actually it's Saturday night Sunday and um, the Shabbat being the Shabbat before the Tisha B'Av uh, fast, the actual performance of Tisha B'Av, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon. Why is it called Shabbat Chazon, which means Shabbat of vision? Because the Shabbat before the Tisha B'Av, we have a very special Haftorah, which is called Chazon Yeshayahu, the vision of Isaiah. Thus, the entire Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon, the Shabbat of vision. Okay? Now, what is the last verse of the Haftorah? What is the closing verse of the Haftorah? Famous verse. Zion shall be redeemed through justice, through righteousness. The word for righteousness is tzedakah. It can also be read as charity. Now, commentaries on the verse define the, ver the word vishaveha. I, I translated the whole verse in English, but I use one Hebrew word. Vishaveha. Commentaries on the verse say that they connect the word Vishaveha to the word Shuva Teshuva. And thus they're going to read the verse as saying, Zion is redeemed through justice and it's penitent, it's those who repented through Tzedakah. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zamov Liadi, actually says the word Vishaveha could be also translated as it's exiles. Shviyah means to be in exile, to be in prison. 
So he used the word vishaveha to mean those that are imprisoned. Now we see that the verse is talking about two different levels amongst the Jewish people. There is Zion and there are the exiles, the prisoners. Now, what do these two things mean? So Zion, our sages tell us, we looked through all the scriptures and we did not find but for one verse that says, and to Zion I call my nation. Meaning that Yisrael, the Jewish people, are referred to as Zion. Now, if we look at the whole verse there, which I'm about to quote to you, you'll realize that the Jews are called Zion when they do certain things. And what are those certain things? The three lines of service that a Jew must do. So let's look at the verse and then we'll see how we have all the definition here. So he says as follows the verse, right? It's in Isaiah. And I placed my words into your mouth. What line of service is that? Torah study, my words. And with the shadow of my hand, I covered you. What line of service is that? Mitzvah observance. Because a mitzvah is called the garments in mysticism. Torah you digest into your mind. It becomes your mind, your brain patterns. That's called bread, food. While garments, which encompass you, is the mitzvot. Your hand doesn't change when you put on tefillin, when you light the candles. Unlike your brain, the crevices actually change. The neural paths actually change when you study Torah. Every thought. Okay? Now, let's go to the third one. To plant the heavens and to found the earth. Okay? So, our sages tell us that sacrifices is the foundation of the world. Sacrifices also refers to prayers. And sacrifices simply means, from the Kabbalistic point of view, elevating the physical. And thus, it's the ultimate way of connecting the world with God, and that's the foundation. So here you have all three lines of service. It would be Torah study, mitzvah observance, and sacrifices slash prayers. Okay? Now, when you do that, now let's have the end of the verse. And to say to Zion that you are my people. Thus, by doing these three services, the Jewish people are called Zion. Why are you through this study called Zion? To understand this, we need to know what the word Zion means. Tzion. Tzion means signs. It's a saying, and make for yourself signs. That's what Zion means. And where do we have that concept? In the Zohar, when it talks about Rabshim Bayochai, it talks about the whole story, the magic, the famous story where the world needed rain. He said about himself, I am a simple sign. What does that mean? The great Rashbi, the composer of the Zohar, the author of many of the 10 books of the Zohar. What does it mean I am but a simple sign? So the answer is that what he means is go back to the verse in Genesis. When God said about creating man, he said to the angels, let us make man in our image, our form and likeness. Thus, when we say that we are Zion, we are the sign. What do we mean by a sign? 
We're a sign of our Creator. Why are we a sign of our Creator specifically? And the answer is because we were created in His form and image. What part of us was created in God's form and image? And image? The godly soul. The one that the verse later goes on to say, and He blew the spirit of life into their nostrils. He breathed. Okay? So Zion refers to what part of every Jew? The godly soul. The godly soul represents Zion as being a sign in being the likeness and the form of God. Okay. And when does this happen? This happens when the soul behaves. And what does it mean when the soul behaves? A soul never misbehaves. It means when the soul is allowed to do what makes it to really express and experience being in the form and likeness of God, which is the three lines of service. What is the exiles, the prisoners of Zion, meaning taken from Zion? That refers to the animalistic soul. Why? So to understand why, we need to look at the words here. Zion only has to be redeemed. While Shaveha has to be returned. What's the difference between the two? So if you look in Tanya chapter 27 by the end, he explains what happens when a person sins. He explains it's as if you're taking God in a headlock, drawing the king, capital K, into the garbage. And how is that? Because our soul is a piece of God, right? Truly a piece of God. When we sin, we're alive. Why are we alive? Because we have our soul. That means our soul is forced into our chazerai. But nevertheless, there's a key word here. The godly soul, he remains true to his faithfulness even at the time of sin. You're taking me in a headlock, but I am not participating. I am actually screaming out, do not do this. Okay? Not to get into this, it's not in my notes, but just want to share with you. You know, in my line of service, I unfortunately get to hear stories of people that were molested as kids. One of the things that I find a common thread is that most people, children that were molested, they're able to disconnect a certain part of them which does not participate. In my personal experience, recovery happens by being able to reconnect to that piece which did not participate. I want you now to translate everything I told you into the peace being the godly sin, molestation being any time that we sin and we drag our godly soul into where it doesn't belong. Here we have pure innocence being dragged into perversion. And nevertheless, it remains apart. Thus, the godly soul, Zion, only has to be redeemed. The definition of the word redeemed means to be revealed. It's never taken prisoner because it doesn't participate. It's never scratched. However, it's forced into concealment. Thus, Tzion b'mishpah tipodeh, it will be redeemed means, I'm allowing it to be revealed, no more concealed. And thus it's free to express itself and experience itself. 
That's the godly soul. The animalistic soul, on the other, fa- on the, on the other hand, it's taken prisoner. Now we understand that there's two different concepts here. Zion, i.e., godly soul, is redeemed through Torah study. Bemishpat, justice. Where do we learn about the divine definition of justice? In the Holy Torah. Veshaveha, and the prisoners, the exiles, bitzedaka, through the act of charity. Now, just that you should know, in, there's two Talmuds you're familiar with. There's the Babylonian Talmud, which actually was composed 200 years after the Jerusalem Talmud. In the Jerusalem Talmud, 613 commandments are loosely called charity. It's where you're taking the physical and using it for a spiritual purpose, selfless. Thus, the real definition in the verse when it says, Vishavel bitstaka, it doesn't mean specifically the commandment of giving money and charity to the poor. Rather, it also means all 613 commandments. Now we understand that the godly soul is redeemed, i.e. revealed, not forced into hiding, concealment, here, but concealed, through Torah study, the animalistic soul, which represents all of physicality, through mitzvah observance. Why? Very simple. Torah study is spiritual, so it's the redemption of the godly soul. Mitzvah observance is physical. It's the redemption, and not the redemption, the returning of the animalistic soul and all of its physical environment. Okay? Okay. So, now we understand... You with me? You're okay? Yeah. Excuse me. Now we understand where we're going to get with this. Zion, the exiles, the return, the, the returning of the prisoners and the redemption of the godly soul. Now let's jump into mysticism. Okay? Here's a list of the mystical concepts we're going to discuss. Number one, the oasis. Number two, loizaz, does not budge, versus ein lohefsik, has no end, has no end of it. Number three, six days of work versus Shabbat. Number four, the actions of God and the actions of the righteous. Number five, Torah versus four cubits of Torah study. Cubit is a, is a uh, biblical measurement. It's about 18 inches, a foot and a half. And then the last one, first and second temples verse, versus Torah, t- third temple. Okay? You have a list of what's going to happen. It's going to line up like dominoes. It's all going to be beautiful. Okay, so let me just begin by listing for you the oasis that exist. God created oasis, right? <laughs> you know, plural is O-A-S-E-S, not O-A-S-I-S-E-S. So I'm just saying oasis, but it's plural, okay? Don't trust me. I looked it up on Google. <laughs> now, with that being said, let me give you a list. Number one, Shabbat, an oasis. Number two, Holy Temple, an oasis. Number three, Torah study, an oasis. And by the way, just to tell you, if you think number three is a joke, what do you think the Jewish people did in the shtetl to run away from their sorrows, poverty, suffering? 
They studied Torah. They got lost in the beauty of it and they forgot their troubles for an hour or two. Okay, it's a real oasis. Now, for those of you who heard last week's class and in this notes when you get it, there'll be a link to last week's class. You will have a deeper appreciation for what I'm about to say. Okay? For those who weren't in the class, don't worry. It's all going to make sense. Okay? But after going through, by the way, there's like 500 and something views. So a lot of people should be having it easier right now. The simple definition of oasis versus the desert is that the desert is the experience of Elohim name and oasis is the experience of the Havaya name for those who weren't here for last week's class. When you make a blessing, what do you say? Baruch Hashem Elokeinu. Hashem, in mystical studies, is pronounced Havaya. You don't want to say the right name, but you say Havaya, you don't say Hashem. Right? And then, Elokeinu is Elokim. Simply speaking, the word Havaya stands for what? Two things. Look in Code of Jewish Law, Havaya stands for two things. Hoya, 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 ke'echad. Was, is, and will be as one. The coexistence, the transcendence beyond the separation of time. Something the human mind can't really fathom. And also comes from the word Mahave. To bring into existence the power of creation. Ex nihilo, Latin for something from nothing. Okay? So when we say the word Havaya, we're talking about miracles. We're talking about the divine revelation. When we talk about Elohim, we're talking about nature. The correct spelling of the word Elohim equals 86. The Hebrew word for the nature, referring to mother nature, is 86. Okay? Now, with that being said, you now understand that desert, where divinity is hidden under the glove of science and nature, is called Elohim. It's dry. The oasis... The fertile, the water, the power is Havaya. Okay? That's number one. Now, number two. While the oasis is the experience of Havaya, however, even Havaya itself is limited to its isolation of the infinite oasis from the finite desert. Let me just share with you a very quick rule. When you're only infinite and not finite, you're finite. When you're only infinite and not finite, you're finitely infinite. When you're only infinite and not finite, you're finitely infinite. You're only one and not the other. That's not infinite. Havaya has that issue. Havaya in itself is only infinite and not finite. Thus, we're going to understand that even the oasis is lacking. What we're going to learn is that the oasis is isolated from the desert. Which basically, let's just talk simple language, we'll, we'll get to by the end. Shabbat is a wonderful day. But Monday morning, you're in the Haktasaurus. Guess what? The bank is still there. It still wants its payments. So if Shabbat is isolated, if Torah study is isolated, if the Holy Temple is isolated, and after the three holidays when I go to do pilgrimage, I come back to my, my Taurus, right? 
the vacation that needs a vacation after the vacation is not a vacation. We're back, we're back to square one. Thus we understand that even the oasis needs to have something added onto it. Okay? Now, if you bear this in mind, three levels, Elohim, desert, oasis, Havaya, and then there's got to be something greater than oasis, which allows for the oasis and the desert to become one. If you keep those three things in mind, the class will flow very easy. Okay? I'm not sure, Pessy, if you had experience studying Chabad Hasidus ever. You did, Baruch Hashem. And you, Jesse? A little bit. Okay. The good news is marijuana is legal. Go ahead, what? Is Elohim a judgment form of Yes, yes. Yes, do you know why? Because judgment says you're only going to get what you deserve and not more. There's only X amount of spirituality. While kindness is revelation. Freedom. Okay? Freedom of constraints. We'll soon get there. We'll talk about it in a moment. Okay? Okay. Now that we have all of this clear in our heads, we have this all figured out, right? You know how much tuition money it cost me to learn this? And right here. <laughs> okay. Now let's go back here. Ah. Lighten up. It's good. <laughs> let's see what goes on here. Briefly, the Talmud tells us a very interesting statement. The Talmud tells us in the first tractic, Barachot, it tells us that in the Holy Temple, when you heard a blessing, you did not answer Amen. Rather, you answered Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto Olam Va'ed, the verse you know from after the Shema. Blessed be, right? Let's read it exactly. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Why? Why don't we just say, Amen? Right? Okay. To understand this, I want to share with you where this verse comes from. There's two, there's two explanations where this verse came from. Most people know the story from, from uh, Moses went up the mountain and he heard it, he brought it down. But that's not what Maimonides says. Maimonides gives us a much simpler version. Before Jacob passed away, he wanted to bless his children. If you look at the verse, he wasn't going to bless them. He said, let me tell you what will be at the end of days. Right after that, he changes the topic and starts blessing them. Why? It says the Divine Presence left him. Didn't want the, the children to know when Mashiach is coming. He thought, whoa, is this because they're not worthy of it? So he asked them, are you guys, are you guys loyal to God? They answered, Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. What it really means is, hero father. Jacob had two names. Yaakov and Yisrael. Hero Israel. God is our God. What that really means is, your God is our God. And if you think we have any other little gods on the side, God is one. When Jacob heard this declaration of faith in God from his children, he answered, Baruch Shem Kivod Machuto Lolam Va'ed. Blessed be the glory of his name forever and ever, which once again begs to, why didn't he just say, Amen? Hear a declaration, God is one. True, Amen. Okay? So with this, we're going to understand that the answer lies 
on the difference between two interesting teachings. One comes from the Talmud in Erevin, and the other one comes from the Medrash, a Medrash called Medrash Shmuel. So listen to this. Every place that it states, Netzach, Sela, Va'ed. What's the last verse? The last word? Baruch Shem Kvomachutol Olam, Va'ed. Anytime it says any one of these three words, Netzach, Sela, Va'ed, which are scriptural words for forever and ever, what does it mean? It will have no hefsik. It will have no interruption, no end. One teaching. Then there's another teaching. Every place that it states li, what does li mean? Unto me, unto me. When God says li, for example, you remember from the, from the Chumash, when God commanded the Jewish people to build a holy temple, what was the word he said? li, you shall make unto me a sanctuary. One of the 13 examples. So over there, whenever it says li, it says loy zoz, it will not budge, not in this world and not in the world to come. What's the difference? Ain lo hefsik has no end, and loizaz does not budge. For a moment, let me just share with you to understand this. Let's go back to that second teaching. The Medrash lists 13, and, and when the Medrash is repeated in the Sifri and the Medrash over there, he lists 13 things that says Li. Kili Israel, for unto me are the children of Israel, the Jews. The holy temple, I told you, also Li Migdash. Of Jerusalem, of Israel, we see the word Li. What do we say Li means? Loizaz, it does not budge. Not in this world and not in the world to come. Well, we got a little question here. I just told you. The Beis Amigdash, the Holy Temple, Jerusalem, and Israel. There was a destruction. That's what Tisha B'Av is all about. So what does it mean? Loizaz. But also Li, make unto me. Medrash says Li equals Loizaz. It will never budge. Not in this world, not in the world to come. Well, guess what? It did budge. It budged twice. What does it mean? So now we understand that there's a difference between when it says loizaz does not budge, but ain loihefsik and has no end. What's the difference? Does not budge means that it manifests itself always. So when the holy temple was destroyed, whatever was in the holy temple, the Havaya revelation of miracles manifested itself somewhere else. It did not leave. But it's not like Ein Lohefsik. Ein Lohefsik means it would never be destroyed. Thus we see there's a very big difference between the two. When it says Netzach Sela Vo'ed, for us important tonight is the word Vo'ed, Baruch Shem Kavod Machutol Olam Va'ed, Va'ed means it does, it's indestructible. It will never, never end. Nah, pshat, this will end, but its deeper sense will manifest itself differently. No, it will never end. While when we say loizaz, there could be a destruction. But the spirit, the soul of the holy temple, which equals the revelation of Avaya, that 
will go on. Where will it go on? It'll manifest itself differently. New. Where did the Holy Temple manifest itself? So for this, we have to go to a different teaching in the Temple, in the, in the Talmud. The Talmud says that, and we'll talk about it in a moment, the Talmud says that since Mishichara Beis Migdash, from when the Holy Temple was destroyed, Ein Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be, be He, has not for Himself, Ella, but Arba Amois Shel Halacha, the four cubits of law, i.e. Torah study. Aha! That means that whatever was in the Holy Temple, that revelation of the ten miracles as it says in Ethics of Our Father, or even greater, we spoke about this last week, right? The Talmud tells us about the Holy Ark and the Holy of Holies. The space of the Ark, the place of the Ark, the two and a half by one and a half by one, did not take up any measurement in the Holy Temple, which remained 10 by 10. That miracle, that Havaya miracle presence, manifests itself within Torah study. By the way, just that you know, that is the explanation of all the miracles that the great scholars, which are called ministers of Torah from the Talmud, it all happened by that power that they found in the Torah. The same power that allowed for miracles to take place in the Holy Temple is now in the Torah. These great ministers of Torah, the Sarah Torah, that's how they did these miracles, like the one I told you last week. Rabbi Jehuda, who, whose wife passed away, and his orphan daughter came crying to him right before Shabbat. We got a problem. What are you crying for? Well, instead of putting olive oil into the Shabbos candles, I put vinegar. It's too late to change. I got to make the blessing right now. Rabbi Yehuda, who is the Sarah Torah of all Mazikin, all the laws of civil damages, he was the minister. He just simply said, he who says that oil should burn this week in this house will say that vinegar should burn. Go light the candles. Now you understand what's going on here. As the minister of Torah, he connected to that which was in the holy temple, which manifested itself within the Torah. That's the definition of Loizos. Didn't leave, didn't leave the universe. But the Holy Temple was destroyed. Okay? Now we understand what's going on with the Amen and what's going on with the Boroshen Kvoy Machus To understand this, I need to give you a little bit of definition. Kabbalah, Hasidis, learns out from the opening Mishnah by, by Mesech the Klayim. It says, Hamavrich es hagefen. It's a way of producing with vines. What does the word hamavrich remind you of? The word bracha. But the word bracha does not mean over there bracha. What it really means is that it actually is to draw forth from this vine into this area. Now, just that you know, the laws of client means that you can't grow a vineyard together with a wheat field. That's what's going on over there. It's just like in your clothing, you can't have wool and linen. You can't ox, you can't uh, plow with a, a donkey and an ox hooked up together. That's all forms of kalayim. But for us right now, we see from Kabbalah, we say, ah, use the word hamavrich, to draw, to draw forth. Now we know whatever bracha is. Every bracha that you make, what you're really doing is, you're bringing, you're drawing forth a unity between two spiritual divinities. Different 
powers of the ten emanations, whatever. By the way, for those of you who are Sephardic and you look in your Siddur, you'll see that that's why in God's name you have big letters and small letters, the yud hey vav hey. inside you'll have Aleph, Talad, Nun, Yud. Those are really different emanations that are being brought together through Bracha. Now, what's the problem? The problem is that spiritually, when something is brought forth, it doesn't necessarily come down into the physical manifestation. Not in my notes, and I would have loved to put it, but it was getting way too long. But just that you should know. If you daven on Rosh Hashanah, and God already judged you for the whole year, why are you wasting your time davening every day? Too late. That is based on a different question. The Talmud says that the first three hours of every day, God judges the world. What do you mean you judge the world? You already judged on Rosh Hashanah. No backseas, no taxis. The answer is that Rosh Hashanah, the judgment that happens, could remain spiritual. I.e., if someone was granted wealth, wealth has many different definitions. There's a spiritual wealth. If someone was granted offspring, offspring is also students. It's also spiritual growth, spiritual pr produce. So therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, we don't know that it's going to come down to this world. Thus, we daven every day. Now we daven for a new judgment. We daven that which you promised us in Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, should manifest itself spirit physically. Now you understand what the word Amen means. Amen means true. What does true mean to us? True means that it's all over. Not just spiritually, but manifests itself physically. Thus, when someone says a bracha, spiritual unity, uh-uh-uh, we want it down here. Amen. Bring it down. Okay? What are the three hours? What time is the three hours? Oh, it's, in the, it's the first three hours of the day. Me? It means the first three hours of the day. But I'm going to be honest with you, my dear friend, Pessy, that I run a monologue because of the video. If you want, stay afterwards. We can talk about it. Okay? But right now, I just need to stay focused on... That's, that's a detail that's not really important there. So, just going back to what uh, we're talking about. Thus, we now understand why in the Bet HaMikdash she didn't say Amen. In the Bet HaMikdash it already manifested itself physically. The pillar of smoke on the windy mountain in Jerusalem, the miracle happened, it never budged. The holy ark which was two and a half by one and a half by one didn't take up space. There was no reason to have to worry about the bracha, the spiritual revelation of Avaya, not manifesting itself physically, when we know for a fact it manifested itself physically. Thus there was no reason to say Amen. Ah, why do we say Baruch Hashem Kavod Machutol Olam Vaed? Say nothing. The answer is why? We just said the Holy Temple was destroyed. That means even though it had the li unto me, loizaz, does not budge protection, it did not have the vo'ed, ain't no hefsik. It has no end. Thus what the Jews are praying is that the holy temple should never be destroyed. I don't want the spirituality to re-manifest itself. I want this to remain forever and ever. Thus we said, Amen, no need. It was physical, but it wasn't eternal. It was eternal in the sense of, loizaz, does not budge, but it could be destroyed and manifest itself elsewhere. Just with, thus we said, Baruch Hashem, Vaed, Vaed has no end. 
Now let's go back to Jacob. When Jacob heard that his children living in Egypt, physical lives, they proclaimed, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. He didn't have to say Amen. Why would he say Amen? It's physical. You're telling me that's the way you live your life. Ah, but he was worried. I'm not sure this will never end. I'm not sure that the definition of Hashem Echad won't be just, I'm a good Jew at heart. Thus he said, Baruch Shem Lo'lam Va'ed. So far so good? Okay. With this all being cleared, let's now talk about the oasis. This is all building. I'm not just uh, throwing out stuff. So we now understand that the Holy Temple was a V'asu Li Migdash. It doesn't need Amen. What lies in the soul of the Holy Temple ain't going anywhere. It will remain, but it's not va'ed. I don't know that it will remain in the physical Holy Temple. Thus it manifested itself in the four cubits of Torah, of Torah study. Okay? Now let's go further. Let's go to the oasis. The first oasis that was given to the universe is what? Shabbat. Right there in Genesis. Right? Now, I want to share with you. Concerning the six days of creation, what does it say? Which name of God? 32 times, by the way. What does it say? Elohim. Bereshish bara, Havayo Elohim. Elohim. And then when Hashem gave the utterances, what does it say? Vayomer Havaya Yehi Or or Vayomer Elohim. That means that creation happened through Elohim. Right? Now let's talk about Shabbat. Look in chapter 2, verse 2. What does it say? Vayechal Elohim and Elohim finished. Vayechal. One definition is completed. But I want to use the mystical interpretation. Vayechal Elohim. The Elohim concealment, confinement ended. Why did it end? Because it's Shabbat. Two verses later, what does it now say? The first time in all of creation. It says the words, Havaya Elohim. Let me read to you the exact verse. On that day that Havaya Elohim made earth and heaven. What Havaya Elohim? Havaya wasn't part of the picture. It was only Elohim. The six days that represents the desert, that represents the hard work, that represents me not feeling spirituality in a revealed manner. That's Elohim. Come Shabbat. Vayichal Elohim. And the Elohim ended. What does it mean the Elohim ended? What it means is soul dominance of Elohim ended. And now we have in the day that Havaya Elohim. Havaya is introduced. Havaya is oasis. When was this oasis introduced? Shabbat. On that seventh day. Shabbat is an oasis. Shabbat is Havaya. The six days is Elohim. Okay? Now, I want to share with you a teaching in the mission of a chapter of a tractic Demai. It's chapter 4, Mishnah 1. I'm going to actually read to you what the Mishnah says. Just that you know, there's laws that you can't eat before you're sure that 
the tithing was taken, given to the Levi, the trumah was taken, given to the Kohen. There's different laws. The Mai, the definition of the word the Mai means, I don't know. I'm not sure what this is. So listen, listen to this Mishnah. One who buys produce from one who is not trustworthy concerning tithing and forgot to tithe it and asks him, the vendor, on Shabbat, did you tithe it? Did you, did you do what you're supposed to do here? Uh, yeah, of course. May eat it by his word, by the vendor's word. If you ask them on Shabbat, you know, but I, bought, I bought this from you. I bought these fruits from you for Shabbat. I didn't have a chance to tithe it. Did you tithe it? Yeah, I did. You're allowed to eat it. Listen to the next piece. At nightfall, at the conclusion of Shabbos, he may not eat until he has tithed the produce. I ask you on Shabbat, I trust you. After Shabbat, sorry, I don't trust you. Now, what's the reason for this law? So let me tell you in the Jerusalem Talmud, quoted in Toysvis, he says the following, for the fear of Shabbat is upon the Am Ha'aretz, the men of the land, those who don't study. A lot of times we use the word Am Ha'aretz as ignorant, masses. <laughs> Understand what's going on here? Shabbat, it's an oasis. Every Jew is affected by the oasis. When a Jew is in his oasis, he would never lie about something like that. After Shabbat, can't trust him no more. You see how serious it is that Shabbat is the Havaya revelation and the effect it has on those who are not so ayayay. You know, the Yiddish AAA. They're not so ayayay. And they don't trust him on Sunday through Friday. Shabbat has an effect on him because the oasis does what it does. Okay? Thus, Shabbat is truly an oasis, a Havaya experience of utopia of people and the universe. It changes people and changes the universe. Okay. I want to interject for a moment with my own thought. This is not in the Mimer. The Mimer says the same thing in a different way, and we'll have to touch it a little bit later. But why do we have to make Kiddush on Shabbat? Why make Kiddush? Kiddush means to sanctify. Shabbat doesn't need you or me to sanctify it. It's been sanctified by God. That's why when it comes to holidays, it depends upon the calendars, it depends upon Rosh Chodesh, which depends upon the Jewish courthouse. In Kiddush you say, Mekadesh Yisrael v'hazmanim. Who sanctified the Jewish people, i.e. the courthouse, who sanctified Rosh Chodesh, which thus the seasons are sanctified. On Shabbat you don't say Mekadesh Yisrael v'hashabbat. You say Mekadesh Shabbat. Why? Because the sanctity of Shabbat doesn't depend on you or me. It is established and sanctified by God. So why do we have to make Kiddush? My own thought. What we're seeing here is that even the oasis of Shabbat, i.e. Havaya, right? Revelation, infinite, is still lacking. It still needs to be sanctified by the service of the Jewish people. Okay? Let's go further. To understand why it needs to be sanctified by the Jewish people, let's go to the next mystical concept. The next mystical concept was the difference between Maseh Elohim, Maseh Hashem, and Maseh Adam, Maseh Tzadikim. There's a difference of that which was done by God and that which was done by the righteous. Which would you say, Hannah, Ruth, is better, holier? By Hashem. By Hashem. Not so. 
Let me read to you an amazing teaching of the Talmud. Okay? Listen to this. Listen to this. It's a Talmud in the tractate Kasubat. Kasubat is really all about the first prenup that protects, the first contract that actually protects the woman. Right? Can't get married without having a tuba. Let me tell you what it says there. Bar Kapara taught, the son of Kapara taught, the handiwork of the righteous is greater than the creation of heaven and earth. As with regard to the creation of heaven and earth, it is written, my hand, singular, also has laid the foundation of the earth. And my right hand, singular, has spanned the heavens. Okay? The hand here is written in the singular tense. Whereas with regard to the handiwork of the righteous, it is written, the place which you have made for yourself to dwell in, Lord, the sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. The reference is to the holy temple, which is the handyman, handiwork of man, King Solomon, later on the man, and hand is written in the plural. So when it comes to creating heaven and earth, which is done by God, it only uses singular. One hand for earth, one hand for heaven. Well, when it comes to building the holy temple, which was done through man, God talks about using both his hands. What is going on here? What's the secret here? So I'll share with you what the secret is. The secret is that he created the world with his left hand. The left hand is Elohim. He created heaven, which is Shabbat, with his right hand, Havaya. But even though there's the left hand and the right hand, and the right hand is no small thing, it's the Havaya, nevertheless, it's only one hand. What does it mean it's only one hand? What it means is that there's isolation between the two. The left hand and the right hand don't match. They're not going to unite ever as one. Thus, the oasis of Shabbat will never unite itself with the rest of your week. It's separated. Hand, hand, singular only. The holy temple, which is the work of the Jewish people, that which has to be greater through the three services, right? Torah study, prayer, and mitzvot. Here we have two hands. What does it mean, two hands? This is a transformation even of the oasis. The oasis which was isolated as in only one hand, infinite and not finite. Shabbos and not six days a week. The shul, but not your office. That changes through the work of the tzaddikim. Now when it talks about tzaddikim, we know there's a verse. What does the verse say? Ve'amech kulam tzaddikim. And your nation, your people are all righteous through the service of these three different lines of service. Thus, what we accomplish with our mitzvahs is not just to make the desert not be parched. It's even to bring into the oasis that which the oasis on itself does not have. For the oasis on its own is only the right hand. Oh, great, right hand, but singular. What we do through our service of mitzvah, Torah study, and prayer is we bring two hands. What do you mean you bring two hands? What it really means is you bring the essence for the essence of God to the essence of God, both hands are equal and united expressions of the wholesomeness and the oneness of God. Right? I can talk about your right hand and your left hand and they're both arguing with each other. But then when I talk about you, the right and the left are both equal hands. Thus they can unite and work as one. That's what the Jew has to do to the oasis. 
And thus then the oasis can then get to work on the rest of the universe because it's no more isolated. But that doesn't happen in the oasis that God created. Because the oasis that God created is Havaya and Havaya only. When the Jew serves God, living a spiritual life in a physical dimension and struggle, he brings two hands by bringing the essence and thus the right and the hand and the left are no more isolated from each other. Okay? Let's move on. The best place to realize what the power of the righteous, i.e. every Jew, through the three services, I mean, you know why we eat pomegranates on Rosh Hashanah? Because every Jew is filled of mitzvahs just like the pomegranates full of seeds. Thus, every Jew, every Jew is a righteous person. You know, everyone in their own levels. So now the best way to understand it is by Torah. And this gets interesting. There's a Torah that God taught us, and there's a Torah that we study. Which would you say, Hannah Ruth, is greater? The one we study. Look at this. You're already a Kabbalist. <laughs> okay, so let's go on. Not so simple. Let's talk about this. Four cubits. What does four cubits mean? The four cubits of Torah study, which is about six feet. So the answer is as follows. The four cubits represent mystically the four letters of the ineffable tetragrammaton Havaya. What are the four letters? Yud, He, Vav, He. Right? Okay. Now let's understand what's going on here. These four letters also represent what we call the four worlds. The four worlds encompasses all of creation. Okay? Now, the four worlds are some Hebrew names and their literal translations. Atzilut, bring forth. Nothing changed, it was just brought forth. Bria, creation ex nihilo, something out of nothing. Yetzira, formation ex ex, something out of something. Asiya, three dimensional ego of identity. Okay? Now, let me just share with you very quickly as the clock is ticking, what is the difference between these four worlds? So very briefly, I want to take you into Genesis. In Genesis, in chapter 2, verse 10, it says about the Garden of Eden, and then it says, and I quote, And a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it separated. Okay? When we talk about the Yud, the first letter, we talk about Atzilut, nothing changed, it was just brought forth. Remember we spoke about Zion? Zion doesn't change, it just goes into concealment and it's revelation. Atzilut was not created. It is divinity. It is absolute transparency. Atzilut is not the river that flowed forth. That is it. It is Garden of Eden. It is what we call divinity, transparency, absolute selflessness, oneness with God. When it says that a river flowed out and from there it separated, we're talking about the lower three worlds. Bria Yitzhirasiyah. Now let me share with you. Do you know how many dimensions there are to Torah study? Four. It's hidden in the word pardus, which means orchard. What the pardus really stands for is pei, reish, dalet, samach. Pei, literal meaning of the text. Reish means um, a, 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 allusions. Allusions. It alludes to, right? Yes. Drush is homiletics. 
Soid is esoteric. The Torah, four cubits. The Torah which was given to us, Asheli Madetanu, which you taught us. The Holy Great Ramaz, in the name of the Priyat Chaim, he says that the three levels, Bria, Yetzira, Asiya, the lower levels, the world of separation, is the Torah which you taught us. The Torah which we study is the higher one, the esoteric, the Torah of the world of divinity. That which God gave us does not, is not the way the Torah manifests itself in the world of divinity at Silut. It's the way flows out from there separated. Thus we have the Torah is called Matan Torah. It's called a Matana. Why is it a Matana? It was given to us. It comes from the separation, not from the oneness. When we talk about the Torah that we study, we talk about the Torah of Atzilut, the world of divinity, absolute transparency. How do you figure? The Torah he taught us, capital H, is the lower Torah, the lower three levels, separation. <laughs> We're studying the Torah of Atzilut, of absolute divinity. How? To understand that, we need to understand one more thing. I want to take you to a verse and this verse will answer it. When it comes to the Torah study, there's a verse that says as follows. Everyone, it's in Isaiah. Everyone that is called by my name and for my glory, I created him, I formed him, yea, I made him. Did you recognize some stuff there? Created, formed, made. Aren't those the three lower worlds? Let's reread the verse with the Kabbalistic understanding of what this means when we talk about the four worlds and the four levels of Torah, the four dimensions of Torah. So, everyone that is called in my name, my name is letter Yud, world of Atzilut, divinity, and the esoteric teaching. For my glory I created him, created. Hey, the letter Hey, the world of Berea and homiletics. I formed him. That is the Vav, that is Yitzira, the world of Yitzira formation, and the level of illusions. The Torah alludes to things. Yea, I made him, the last letter, Hey, the world of Asiyah, the literal interpretation. Now, okay? You with me, Pessy? Did you notice that there's a separation over here going on? What's the separation? I told you what the word, I told you what the word, everything that is called in my name. I told you what it means, I created him, I formed him, yea, I made him. I skipped out something, did I not? Isn't there a separation between the first divinity world and the three worlds of separation? Everyone that is called by my name and for my glory, ulechvoidi. What is ulechvoidi? Lishmi for my name, that is the Yud. That is Atzilut, world of divinity. That is the esoteric dimension of learning the Torah. I created him, I formed him, I made him. The next three letters, Vav, Hey, Vav, Hey, which is the world of creation, the world of formation, the world of 
action, which is the levels of Torah of the illusions, the homiletics, I'm sorry, the homiletics, the illusions, and the literal text. What's, what is a separation between world number one and the latter three? And that is Ulechvoidi and for my glory. Do you know what that teaches us? That teaches that the Torah that God gave us is the lower three levels. The levels would float out. It's a gift. Here, take it. It was separated. However, the only way to connect those lower three levels with the level of my name, the level of Yud, the level of Atzilut, absolute transparency, only happens when you study Torah, Lichvodi for my glory. Now we understand. When the Jew studies Torah, he can be stuck with all the ego. I do it to make a living. I do it for power. I do it for glory. Not for God. Then it's flowed out. Then it's the worlds of separation. When you talk about the Yud, the transparency, that means I'm learning Torah with humility. I'm learning Torah with fear of God. I'm learning Torah with transparency and selflessness. That's how you connect the Yud to the Hey of Hey. Now remember, letters Hey of Hey is from the name Elohim or from the name Avaya? From Avaya. We're talking big stuff here. But nevertheless, that oasis is only don't budge. Doesn't ever budge. It's not Ein lo hefsik va'ed. The va'ed, the power of have no end, comes from that which is higher than Havaya. Havaya is finitely infinite. It's isolated from the rest. Thus, in order to bring in the essence, the yud, the esoteric, the atzilut, absolute transparency, the Jew has to work. What does he have to work? Not just Torah study, but Torah study lichvodi and for my, capital M, glory. That's when you have now the oasis is transformed. Even the Torah, which is an oasis, Havaya, it's not the ultimate. It's isolated. It's only when I can do ulichvodi. It's only when I can actually go ahead and make that it should be with humility, transparency, selflessness. Now we have the transformation of the oasis. Now we have the essence for which the right hand and the left hand, the oasis and the desert are not two, but part of a oneness and a wholesomeness. Thus, not only it doesn't budge, it never ends. Now we understand what's the difference between the first temple and the, the first two temples, first and second, versus the third which Mashiach is going to build. The first and second was an oasis, even though we said it was made by man and right, it has the two hands. But it is only through later experiencing when the holy temples were destroyed and everything moved over to the four cubits of Torah study. It's only through all these 2,000 years where we selflessly served God under all terms. Only when we were selfless, 
transparent, humility. We didn't just study Torah. It wasn't just Havaya. It was Torah study for my glory. That's when the first two temples, which were only the oasis of does not budge. Now comes along Mashiach and he builds the third temple. Let's follow how this works. Through the Torah study of and for my glory and through the mitzvah observance that's performed with selflessness we now introduce the Vo'ed forever and ever physically forever and ever not just spiritually it remains and manifests itself elsewhere no physically not only that through 2,000 years of Torah study with humility, through 2,000 years of the Jews performing mitzvot selflessly, we bring Mashiach, build a third temple, resurrection of the dead, and transform the entire physical world into the ultimate, absolute, undestructible oasis. So much for the class. Now let's go to the closing. My friends, in the teaching of Kabbalah Hasidis, the flood waters of Noah are called Mayim Rabim, the raging waters, which refer to the chaos, struggles, and obsession for earning a living. Within these raging waters, there is an oasis called Noah's Ark, right? Of which God commanded us, and I quote to you the verse in Genesis in Parshish Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household. As a matter of fact, I want you to know that the Zohar says that within the Ark, there was the aura of the Messianic era. That's why in the Ark, there was already the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy concerning Mashiach, that the wolf and the lamb shall lie together. So this Noah's Ark is a real oasis. My life is full of craziness, struggles, not knowing when next week's rent is coming, not knowing anything like that. So Hashem tells you, you have an oasis, Noah's Ark. What is Noah's Ark? Noah's Ark is Shabbat. Noah's Ark is Torah study. Noah's Ark is the synagogue. Noah's Ark is mitzvah observance. Right? Now, here is the big question. If you really think that, hey, listen, this is for, you know, the masses, right? What did one smart boy chick refer to all of religion, the opium of the masses. They can't handle the raging waters. So they created a Noah's Ark. If you think you can do without Noah's Ark, for any of you that ever heard Bill Cosby's uh, piece about Noah, just think of that line. Hey Noah, how long can you tread water? We need the oasis. We need to rejuvenate. We cannot function non-stop in the struggle and chaos. Our body is not meant to handle stress. Stress is meant to be only in times of emergency to release the cortisol and have you in overdrive, not for it to happen seven days a week. We need the oasis. And now I want to share with you the deeper lesson. Not only did God give us an oasis, the Noah's Ark, to be able to rejuvenate from the raging waters, there's a deeper lesson here. 
The deeper lesson is whether you can bring the oasis of Shabbat into your weekdays, your synagogue into your office, your Torah into your home, and your mitzvot into your entire lives. How do we do that? Remember we said, right hand, left hand. Right hand is great, but it's isolated. The answer is, as we learn tonight, it is whether we can experience our oasis with humility, transparency, and selflessness. That changes our lives. So running to the oasis is a necessity. We need that. We need those spiritual oasis so we can just stop running like little rat race in a rat's race. You know that line I shared it with you. The problem with the rat race is even if you win, you're a rat. We're like hamsters running in a wheel. We never stop. You can't go on. You need the oasis. You need Shabbat. You need Torah study. You need mitzvot. You need the synagogue. But if you're just going back and forth from the cage to the oasis, from the oasis back to the cage, how do we bring the oasis into the cage? The answer is by experiencing and working the oasis with selflessness, with transparency, with humility. Thank you.